0: I was a bluesman and had been since the age of eight. Well, that was how I saw it. I could still sing those songs I'd learned from Mr Love at that age. I was, moreover, in line for a Gibson EBO bass and Vox amplifier on my 18th birthday. A mere six years. I was twelve and champing at the bit to be on stage with Steve Bruce and whomsoever the other members of our blues band would be. A blues band. Just to run those words through my mind was magical. (coughs) Then, after Papa Legba had set me up, I'd get a blues name. I'd be rid of Victor Howard Simerson forever. Maybe I'd be... Stammering Stand Strange. Stammering because a fair few of the best old bluesmen were blind or crippled or something. And there was a pride in that. I could just come out and say, I'm stammering stand Strange, people, and I've got s- some stunning songs for y'all. Why Stan? Because Steve's Uncle Stan had been a bass player. Eventually I'd inherit his Gibson EBO and it seemed right that I should honour his name. Why Strange? Because there was a boy called Gordon Strange at school and I'd always admired that name. As to the stammering, however, I hoped that my speech therapy would get rid of that. The nurse who saw me every Tuesday was robustly attractive and so I had great enthusiasm for my speech exercises. I was told I'd get over the stammer if I worked at the exercises. I worked hard and also took the nerve medicine That my grandmother brought from Germany. My aunt Rickchen kept up the supply after my grandmother died. I don't know what it was, but it was green and suitably vile. My father had been told by the doctor that my stammer would be helped if I were able to feel more relaxed. He put it to him that a Gentler manner might help. In fact, he insisted that corporal punishment was to be kept within reasonable limits, or the authorities would have to be contacted. My father was furious, of course, but he was not a man to act obdurately. He was not an unkind man at heart simply too military in his bearing, and too draconian in his sense of appropriate punishment. I did notice some greater sense of easiness around the house, but although my stammer lessened, it still remained an impediment to communication, unless I was at Steve's house, or talking with the girls in my class. I always stammered with teachers and lived in fear of reading aloud in the English classes. I thought of asking Steve whether I could consult his parents on the idea of going to the crossroads, but decided against it. They were atheists, so they'd have no problem about Papa Legba, but they didn't walk on the wild side. Mr Bruce was, after all, a police superintendent. The Bruces wouldn't give me that Gibson EBO bass guitar against my father's wishes, so they'd certainly not approve of my cycling out to the Runfold Crossroads at midnight. I thought about it most of the summer. I'd turned 12, and it seemed as if the midnight journey to the crossroads was something I needed to do before I turned 13. That was the magical year at which a person could officially be known as a teenager. As far as I was concerned, I'd been a teenager since the age of 10. After all, 10 was comprised of two digits and teen mean, meant 10. But not everyone went along with that idea. For me, that seemed to mean that 10 to 13 were the twilight years. Mr Love had told me that the crossroads were a twilight setting, like the eaves of a wood or intertidal zones the areas of seashore that are alternately seabed and land. So, the crossroads at Runfold. I'd have to sneak out of the house at a quarter of an hour before midnight, when I could be sure my parents would be asleep. I'd have to brave the squeaking stairs. I knew exactly which ones they were, and leave by the back door so they wouldn't hear anything. The back door had a key, and so I could lock it behind me. I didn't want anyone to burgle the house whilst I was away and I wanted to leave the house looking normal. I'd put a coat in my bed to look as if someone was in it and then I'd cycle to runfold. So far, so good with the plan. But as I pondered the fact that it still wasn't Mississippi, I started to feel as if I needed to do something more, more dangerous. What could I do to make the situation more dangerous? I could take the air rifle, but no, that was locked away in my father's workshop and I had no idea where he kept the key. Then suddenly, a ghastly idea arose, and I regretted its appearance as soon as it appeared. Of course, once the idea was there, there was nothing I could do about it. I was stuck with it. I'd have to cycle there, naked. The whole idea was deranged enough as it was. So why had I decided to make it all worse? Well, of course, I knew why. I had to do everything I could to make sure that Papa Legba showed up. I wasn't going to get my guitar lessons and I'd never get a real guitar anyway. So other than the occult intervention of Papa Legba, I'd have to await my 18th birthday when the Gibson EBO bass and Vox amplifier would be mine. The next step was to name the day. If I named the day, I would have to go through with the plan. So I spoke out the days. Wednesday or Thursday? Odin's day or Thor's day? They both seemed right for the adventure. I tossed a coin and got Thor's day. It was fixed. When the day came, I felt a great wave of anxiety hit. I had to live with that all day, and as the evening approached, I got decidedly edgy. I decided to go to bed early in order that it might hurry my parents to bed. The ploy failed, and I lay in bed listening to them talking. I was glad that this was not one of those nights on which my father launched a row about something. Finally, they went to bed. Finally, their lights went out. And finally, My father commenced to snore. I had about half an hour to wait before I set out, so I crept downstairs and sat in the living room. I'd leave my pyjamas and slippers under the glass veranda where there was a small cupboard that housed gardening implements. They'd not be seen there. I got my bicycle out of the bicycle shed and took it to the front of the house. I opened the gates slowly and left my conveyance propped against the outside wall with my guitar. I then hurried back to the glass veranda and hid my pyjamas and slippers. It was deathly quiet and even my bare feet seemed to make an, un- an unnecessary noise. I closed the gates mounted my bicycle, and as I did so, I realised that I had not considered certain anatomical problems vis-à-vis naked cycling. The pedals were not comfortable, but the saddle was decidedly worse. Then, of course, the string by which my guitar was suspended across my back made its presence known. It cut into my shoulder, and I knew I'd be rubbed raw by the time I got home. If I ever got home that night. What if a police car sailed by, and I was arrested for indecent exposure? How would I explain that? Well, officer, I was going to meet Papa Legba at Runfold Crossroads, so that I'd be able to play guitar like Robert Johnson. They'd probably send me to Brookwood. As I turned into the main road, I was struck by another horror. What if any kind of car appeared? I'd have to nip into someone's drive as soon as I saw headlights. I'd have to keep my senses alert for any semblance of car headlights either in front or behind. I breathed a sigh of relief as I turned off the main road in the direction of Runfold. The streetlights were left behind and I sailed into the darkness. That, of course, was another kind of problem because I couldn't see where I was going ere I risk turning on my front light. There was no choice. However, I decided to switch it on for short intervals and cycle as far as I could see with each illumination. That went well until I hit the curb where the road curved. I decided I'd have to risk the light and turn it off and stop if I saw anything human anywhere. The ride didn't take long and I was there sooner than I'd expected. My eyes had got used to the dark and soon I could make out the fields under the moon. This was the crossroads. The string hadn't quite made me as sore as I feared because I worked out a way of moving that didn't make it rock around too much. I laid my bicycle in one of the fields and sat at the edge of the road on an old milestone. There were no houses around, but the idea of singing suddenly made me anxious. How far would my voice carry? I started to sing crossroads blues, quietly at first, but then it occurred to me that there was no point in holding back. I'd got this far, And it would be stupid to ruin everything, having come so far with the plan. I let rip. Then I let rip again. I must have sung that song a dozen times. A dog moved across the field as I was singing and gave me a start. It howled for a while. I wondered if it was Papa Legba's dog. Mr Love had told me that Papa Legpa had a dog. I was suddenly gripped with fear. Was Papa Legpa actually going to appear? What had I done? Would I get out of this alive? What if it really was the devil and not Papa Legpa? But I knew fundamentally that there was no God or devil so settling with that conviction the panic quickly subsided and gave way to disappointment i sat there for what seemed to be an hour or two getting increasingly cold papa legba was obviously engaged in more serious matters in mississippi so numbed with cold i cycled home not even bothering about being arrested That was it. Back in bed. No one had heard or seen anything. So I was safe. What a disgusting word. Safe. I resented the need to feel safe, but was glad that I had taken the risk. Maybe the safety that followed taking a risk was acceptable. Perhaps but I was wary about feeling too relieved. I'd succeeded and failed simultaneously. The failure? That was obvious. But what of the success? That comprised of my having had the single pointed intention to do what I had done. I'd carried through with a plan. I'd not given up. That was important for a Buddhist practitioner. The length to which obsession carries a person, in terms of activity, is the mark of someone who stands the chance of realising goals in Buddhism. It would probably not be enlightenment, I could not set my sight that far, but it might be something worthwhile. It had to be something more than living an average life, with average expectations, in the average suburban acreage of apathy. I was determined not to fall prey to the inevitability of mediocrity. It did not have to be the inevitable fate of everyone raised in the home counties. I had observed the way in which everyone grew up like allotment vegetables, all in tidy rows. I did not wish to work in some dreary executive version of a factory, merely to get a mortgage on a cloche. It was an odd feeling, ruminant with ruminations. In terms of how chilled I'd become, I was monstrously glad to be back in bed. The full moon was gawping through the window At first I didn't really notice how bright it was, but when I noticed it, the moonlight seemed to illuminate the room. I wondered at first whether it was actually daylight, but the clock on the wall told me otherwise. It was just gone two o'clock in the morning. I was still shivering, but not actually cold. That the white lady was there. She had evidently been there for some time, but I had not seen her as soon as she appeared. I lay there staring at her, then gradually I stopped shivering and fell asleep. And tomorrow we'll start chapter six, The Mother of Invention.